0: This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless
1: edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asian to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian.
0: And my name is Maggie.
1: And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals.
0: We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi everyone, this is the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie.
1: My name is Brian.
0: And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Minji Chang. And she's an actor, a writer, a producer, and a podcast host. Minji, do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Thank you. First of all, uh, that's the name of my podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me on the show. And congratulations to you guys hosting a podcast space and creating more conversations. I'm all about that. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm an actor, writer, producer, also a fledgling entrepreneur. Uh, adding that to my resume. That's been really fun. Um, but my name is Minji. I'm from the Bay Area originally, born and raised. i uh, been in LA for six years now. I just celebrated six wow. year anniversary. Oh, nice. And uh, yeah, it's been, <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's already been six years. but like, oh, it's like only been six years. A uh, lot <laughs> has happened. And yeah, um, I came down because I was the executive director of Collaboration, which is a nonprofit that is discovering, connecting, and elevating Asian American artists, mm-hmm. and uh, was part of that organization, still am, because I'm on the board of directors now, but I've been part of that for 11 years. So my world has been very much embedded in the arts, but also the nonprofit world slash Asian American community, and definitely yeah. increasingly in Hollywood. So that's kind of like the overarching thing of where I'm at now, but mm-hmm. there's been, it's been quite a very to someone else that's, like, not me, they'd be like, that's so random. Like, I've been through <laughs> a lot of different phases in my life. But to me, it all makes sense. Yeah, I'm happy to share whatever I can. Yeah, we're
1: here. We're super excited to hear your story, too, because we can relate to you. We feel like our lives are absolutely random as well, you know. Because <laughs> for me personally, I started off my career as a software engineer and then became a real estate investor and became a real estate developer. And now I run communities and I do non-profits.
3: <laughs> nice, nice. Totally
1: relate to you. And I just want to hear about your upbringing, too. Like, what was that like? Like, what what did what what did your parents want you to do when you were growing up? And, you know, obviously, you have a very successful career right now. I want to hear about the very beginning, you know. Yeah. Like, what was your childhood like?
0: Yeah, and where were you born? Um, You know, what were your parents like? Mm-hmm. You know, what, did you live in a very strict Asian household?
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, I am <laughs> hey, writing about all this now, so it's, it's oh, actually nice. very good because I'm... <laughs> I'm in the process of distilling and fictionalizing certain parts for yeah. what I'm writing. Um, mm-hmm. But as a, I was actually born uh, in Davis, which is technically not the Bay Area, but it's NorCal. Right. Um, but my dad was actually graduating from UC Davis with an wow. aeronautical engineer degree. Wow. So um, my parents are Korean immigrants. They came to, to the States in 1980. You know, there was a huge wave of immigrants that came over from Asia during that time, late 70s, early 80s. And, um, you know, my dad spoke zero English, not zero, I mean, a, a lot of people in Korea spoke some English, but mm-hmm. he kind of was like starting at ground zero, went to community college in San Francisco, went to UC Davis, and uh, I'm the second kid, so my older brother was born in San Francisco, I was born right after my dad graduated, so definitely a young family, um, very immigrant family, my parents, it's just bizarre to realize my parents were in their 20s when they had the two of us, and then, yeah. My, other, my little brother came when they're in their late 30s, so another 10 years later, but just, you know, I'm in my 30s. So it just baffles me how much they had done and what kind of life milestones they had already reached by the time they're in their mid to late 20s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we came to the Bay Area to Daly City, San Francisco area. My grandmother was based there and uh, we're a dry cleaner family. So my grandma had owned multiple businesses. She's the entrepreneur. Like I I realized like, oh, I get it from her. I didn't even realize that. Um, But yeah, we're very, in a lot of ways, kind of stereotypical Korean American family in terms of like church, Mm -hmm. for sure, heavily influenced our life. Um, My mom was always just sending us to Korean school, wanting us to know the language, know the culture. My mom's really into history history and documentaries and things. So. She was, you know, was spoken in the household. So I spoke both English and Korean growing up, mm-hmm. um, which at, when I was a kid, I griped about, but I'm really grateful. Honestly, like, I'm very grateful that I grew up bilingual, even though I'm way more proficient at English than Korean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as a kid, you know, I was very creative. I really liked school. Mm-hmm. So my parents never, in that way, they never had an issue with me. They never had to harp on me about grades. Mm-hmm. I was the. I I, I guess, like, I don't even know what the term is, the psychological term, but,
3: Mm. like,
2: Pavlov's theory, like, you give them the reward, and they're like, yay, like, you know, (laughs) I really liked getting good grades, so, in that way, my parents, and I liked school, like, it it felt good to learn, it felt cool to, like, ace a test, I don't know, I, I, I personally really liked it, and I had good friends, so I was, like, I was very social, Mm -hmm. um, social, but also shy and awkward in certain ways, but, Uh, So, yeah, it was a pretty normal childhood, I guess. I had a really great time. There are certain immigrant experiences, like having a very severe and tough father, for sure. Um, Military family. Mm Colonel. So my dad definitely did not have it easy growing up. Um, He had divorced parents, which was very, very, very unheard of in Korean Mm -hmm. culture in the 50s. Um, so it's like an interesting household, definitely. Like there's so many things I remember that are great, but there are definitely really harsh realities. And like, um, just you know, my dad, he's so different now. But when I was growing up, like we had to watch ourselves a lot.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, his his mood could be like you know, yeah. air trigger. Yeah. And so I definitely remember that. My brother, in a lot of ways, had it rougher than me, but mm-hmm. we we're all kind of like a little walking on eggshells because of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, a lot of those things influenced my sense of self. Uh, I definitely had like a happy childhood. Overall, I feel like I had a happy childhood that I mm-hmm. covered with some really rough moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling othered, feeling different, feeling, um, this one I'm dealing with as an adult, like not feeling safe in certain mm-hmm. ways, like having to always like be careful mm-hmm. um, and realizing as an adult that that's definitely traumatic for a kid mm-hmm. to like not feel safe. secure. Right, all the time. Yeah, um, which I think a lot of immigrant kids have felt. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of kids in general, for sure. But um, yeah, and so school was like definitely fun. Um, I I was never pressured really to go one specific route. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think because what I wanted and my ambitious nature and like yeah. wanting to be a doctor was something that pleased my parents. Yeah. They had no issue with that. Yeah, so I don't feel like I was really pressured in one direction. Um, but my mom was actually the one who introduced me to theater Um, and like I started doing plays in church when I was like five years old and I had my first lead role by seven. mm -hmm, So so like. I definitely was like a little thespian, artsy-fartsy little kid. Mm-hmm.
3: There. Yeah.
2: Really into pop culture. I was listening to Janet Jackson, Paul Abdul, MC Hammer. Like, really inappropriate. Like, I wouldn't put that in like a three <laughs> or four-year-old, you, know, <laughs> you know, playlist. But I was definitely listening to that from a really young age. Super into movies. Super into plays and musicals. So, I had a lot going on. Like, when I look back on it, I was like a very active child. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow.
1: you have an amazing story, you know. Like, it sounds like you're, you were a super good kid. Like, you're the most ideal kid, you know? You know well. You
2: know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> got really good grades.
2: We're going to high school, Ryan. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds it's all like... all a setup, see?
0: Also <laughs> like you got the creative side from your mom, definitely. Yeah. But, like, when you were explaining about how your dad was like, he really reminds me of my own dad because... When we were young, like when me and my sister, when we were young, he was super mean all the time. Like he was like angry all the time. And I think it comes with like the expectation, like, oh, we immigrated here to give you guys like the future that we want for you guys, you know, set you guys up for success. So mm-hmm. we have that expectation that you guys will do well, you know, whatever it may be in school, like get a, get a job. And as we grew older, he's definitely a lot more chill and relaxed and like, mm-hmm. I never see him get mad anymore. I think it's just like when we're growing up, they have like this expectations, like, oh, I need our children to have this life because we're giving them that better life by immigrating here.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a very, I mean, the more we all become adults and understand the gravity of what that entails and us growing up in a space that we, to a degree, a larger degree than our parents feel like we do belong right. and that we can navigate comfortably. In terms of language, in terms of social cues, in terms of receptivity by the general public. I mean, personally, I cannot, I mean, that's like me moving to Korea and like, even though, but not Korea, like, fine, Europe, like, don't (laughs) speak language, don't look like really the majority of people there. Right. right. That's a big deal, you know? And and, um, we have more empathy for our parents, which is a thing of maturity. Uh, It's a lot. A lot that they went through and a lot that they're emotionally, mentally, physically juggling on a very daily basis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then trying to raise humans to be decent people and not be a menace to society. That's a lot to do. Yeah, definitely. Multiple humans too. There are three of us and all three of us were very interesting (laughs) children. (laughs) Yeah. My condolences to my parents.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you had a pretty normal childhood. What was that transition like when you... Kind of diverge your path a little bit you know you mentioned that you told your parents that you want to be a doctor keep mm-hmm. them happy what was the yeah. very moment when you're like hey i don't want to be a doctor i want to pursue mm-hmm. you know being an actress yeah. and all that creative side stuff like how how did they take that
0: yeah and i know you went to berkeley and majored in public health right and you were working um in jobs that were related to health um and yeah i would love to know like that transition and you know what it was like kind of knowing like, okay, I don't want to focus on health anymore. Like I want to pursue acting.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, well, a huge significant part of my narrative, um, that takes place between 14 and 19 years old was a relationship that I was in. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, in certain ways was ideal as a child, um, in terms of Obedience, um, ambition, proficiency, you know, those things, I, I give that to myself. Um, but that was, it, it takes a, and this is where the reality of just being a person, especially an impressionable, insecure teenager, comes mm-hmm. into play. And in high school, I was really passionate about medicine. I actually entered a, a bioscience program in ninth grade, which oh. is a very big privilege for a high schooler to have, to, like, explore a career when you're 14 Mm -hmm. Um, And so that to that I credit my teachers and my school shout out to Amber Valley (laughs) High. They really created a space for younger kids to explore shadowing doctors, doing science projects, like learning about things that you wouldn't learn about till you're probably in college or beyond. Right. Um, So that was that. And I was heavily into like leader. I was a leadership geek. Still am. Um, (laughs) So that was all happening. But I was also dealing with a lot of personal struggles about who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely have been boy crazy, kind of like out of the womb and uh, had already dealt with like dating guys since middle school, but I met an older guy uh-huh. from church, mm-hmm. layers and much older guy and entered a very bad relationship that lasted for five years. Oh, wow. So it colored my entire adolescence, if you will, right. I'd say, um, and it was pretty abusive. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was, it was really interesting because the way I would liken it is that I lived a double life. On one side, I was class president and yeah. you know, right, over a 4.0 GPA. And, but on the other side, I was lying and manipulating everybody and under complete control of this very um, abusive person. Mm-hmm. And uh, to this day, it's still like, I mean, I, it feels like a different life now. Mm-hmm. but I still remember every detail and it was mm-hmm. this former version of myself, but those actually really did influence the way that my life turned out because yeah. I was listening to what he wanted. He mm-hmm. had a lot of control over my life. Um, but ironically, just the way that life turns out, you know, I still was able to maintain grades probably because he didn't let me socialize mm-hmm. um, cut me off from my friends. So what did I do? I studied a lot. Yeah. And luckily for me, I studied well because I liked it. So yeah. Luckily, I got into Berkeley. That relationship continued into college. There's a lot. It's like, it's like K-drama. Um, but it, it definitely colored a lot of uh, decisions that I made during very formative years.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. And
2: um, I just kind of had to learn how to navigate tough systems that go beyond like sexism or racism. It was literally just interpersonal, like my own demons I guess and and this one person that I was allowing to dictate so much of my life Mm -hmm. um how to negotiate with that and how to convince that person like I want to go to a school like we're getting very personal I'm fine because I talk about this on my podcast so I just hope it's not too like overwhelming for you guys no 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 this is fine it's perfectly fine um for example he didn't want me to go to Berkeley Mm -hmm. Oh. I was in I was barely sleeping. I was going through lots of different crises throughout high school and somehow I managed to go to get into a really good school. And the weird thing is I actually didn't know that Berkeley was a really good school. That's how oddly like sheltered I was like I was consumed by this relationship. I I, I only knew what was directly in front of me, which is to get an A in AP bio. Yeah, just do well on this test. And just that's all I could see in front of me. I didn't research colleges. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how good that Berkeley was compared to like Irvine. Like I didn't I didn't know any of these things. I just applied. And by the grace of God, I got into Berkeley. Still didn't know that it was that good of a school. Everyone's congratulating me. <laughs> I'm literally just thinking about my boyfriend at the time. And so yeah. I didn't, I was like, oh, thanks. I got into college. Like, that's what I thought. But it wasn't right. like, oh, you got into a great school. It's like, oh, no, I got into a school. Yeah. Um, and he, he actually dumped me when I told him that I was like, I got into Berkeley. And he got angry at me. Oh. So this is like, this is the real, real on me. Um, I felt guilty. And
3: mm-hmm.
2: I didn't know because he shamed me and told me that I'm selfish and that um, that he was basically paranoid that I'm going to be around a bunch of like smart guys. Literally, uh-huh. that was it. And he was very yeah, heavy for that. So I almost didn't go to Berkeley. Right. right. He wanted me to go to community college. So
3: uh-huh. stuff
2: I'm writing about, guys. Don't worry. You'll get all the tea. But I Ooh. chose to go. I stood my yeah. ground.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, also because my parents would have had, can I swear? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. They would have <laughs> lost their shit if I said I'm not going to UC Berkeley. You yeah. know? Yeah. I gathered that much over time. Like they were really proud. So I was like, oh, this is a big deal. Yeah. And um I wanted to make them happy, so I went. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I got into Berkeley. That's like the true story. Is like I didn't know that it was a really good school. Mm-hmm. I I chose Berkeley because it was close. Yeah. Because I lived in the Bay Area. And because I wanted to date this crazy person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's how I ended up at that school for real. That is crazy. And um, destiny is real, guys. Yeah.
0: That's 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 a really crazy story. And it's like so it's so accurate where when you say that you don't know anything that's like outside of what you just see. It's kinda of like tunnel vision, right? Mm-hmm. There's no possible way for you to know what's on the outside if all you're focused on is like that relationship or that person. Or your studies, you know, and I think that it was really brave of you to, you know, just go outside of your comfort zone and be like, you know what, maybe I'll take this chance. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, you know, that relationship might have been a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. because it freed you from those struggles, you know, and I think it naturally trended towards that direction where you went to Berkeley because you know, if it happened any other way, maybe you would have gotten to community college. Or, like,
2: if you guys stayed together, you you guys would
0: have gotten to – you would have been going to community college.
2: So, I think well, – yeah, and I, I appreciate that. And I fought – it ended up being a big fight, multiple fights, and mm-hmm. we stayed together. Mm-hmm. Um So, I got my – and I negotiated that – again, in the thing that I'm writing. But I negotiated it by agreeing to live in the all-girls dorm. So, Smart. like – this is how my college life was shaped, literally my schedule, all of it. Yeah. Um, so we ended up staying together, but there were certain fights that I went to bat for myself and going to Berkeley was one of them. Mm-hmm. So I'm really glad that I did that and I appreciate that. And um, definitely these moments, and again, it's just to attest to kind of like life in general mm-hmm. that we can, we it's to our benefit not to assume that everybody knows what we know. I think right. sometimes when people are in high school, everyone talks about, this is kind of a sign of in my opinion, a little bit of an immature mindset is yeah. that we talk about things as if everybody else knows what we're talking about. And I yeah. think that's very risky because a lot of people have no idea what you're talking about. Right. How do you know that everyone's researching colleges and majors and has the money to even do that the yeah. way that you do? Right. I think that's actually a conversation in Asian, Asian America that I think needs to be checked is mm-hmm. that there's a lot of assumptions that, there's money, time, privilege, and just resources that everybody has the same path. Like, oh, what if you can't go to college? What if that's not even an option for an Asian American young person? There are a lot that can't afford to or that just need to go to work to help their families right, right. or have a different immigration status or whatever. Like there's so many experiences and wow. that's what I'm recognizing about my own story. Yeah. Um, that I, there's a lot of assumptions people made about me and that I made about others just right. based on my path and that's like me at 18 19 years old yeah
3: um,
2: which is why I credit you guys for expanding like sharing these conversations because I think the more that we share what really happened exactly. and what really happens yeah. the more we can have kind of like a more grounded understanding of how life really is versus like what yeah. we're saying
0: yeah it's Absolutely. very very easy to assume it yeah.
1: is yeah and honestly yeah. i have never seen maggie this fire up before in her previous episodes she's like oh man this is a
0: very interesting i need story. to like engage in this conversation
1: right here i'm like
0: All right i'm just gonna
1: sit here and just be quiet no, you
0: know i really do truly feel like things happen for a reason yeah. i always feel that way like everything happens for a reason yeah and i think that you know your experiences give you the opportunity to to, to make opportunities for yourself. You know, Absolutely. This is exactly what happened. And, you know, like when you were in high school and when you were in college, I'm, I'm sure you were still acting, right? And I, I think you mentioned that, or I was reading your bio, and um, the, your bio mentioned that you were training at UC Berkeley as well for acting yeah. classes. And so can you talk a little bit about that experience and, you know, what those trainings Um, what that experience was like while you were training and then how you were naturally kind of shifted towards like getting into collaboration um, and getting to know them.
2: For sure. Um, So the reason why I even brought up that whole teenage saga was a that it dictated a lot of these outcomes that on the outside might seem very innocuous like okay Mm -hmm. she chose to go to UC Berkeley like it could be many other people who just fill out applications and choose a school. For me it was colored in a very different light. Um, and when I got to Berkeley in the middle of it, my sophomore year is when I ended that relationship or like I escaped it to be honest. Like that's how I look at it. I escaped uh, a very bad situation by the grace of God and my family and my friends. Like I somehow got out of it. And, um, that was like an awakening for me as a, as a person, as Mm -hmm. a young woman, as a future professional, um, I genuinely felt like I got a second chance at life. Like it got that bad because I was in a very dark place. I was ready to give up, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Like I was, it's such a terrible place to feel like you have no hope. Like either the situation you're in is bad or the other situation, even if you get out is bad. But once I was able to get over that very significant um, obstacle, that moment, I felt like, Oh my God, it's really exciting and scary to feel like I can choose whatever I want to do. And when you relinquish control to somebody for so long, it matters a lot when you get that control back. Um, So that's when like a lot of things shifted. I switched out of bio because I started taking social sciences and I really resonated with psychology, with sociology, with understanding why people work the way that we do. That has eternally fascinated me still does. And um, that's why I chose public health. And I felt like that was a really good fit for me because it was understanding people on a population level versus Mm -hmm. like when you're doing MD, you're like meeting one patient at a time, right? You're serving one person. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I want to know why millions of people are depressed. I want to know why teenage pregnancy rates are so significant here. Mm -hmm. I want to know why abuse happens here. I want to know why these people are addicted to this over here. I wanted to know these things and understand. Um, so when I did that, I was really already starting to shift in who I was, my career aspirations, switching from wanting to do med school solely and then wanting to do public policy. So that's when I was shifting in that. Um, but once I got out of that relationship, that's when I actually, I, sorry, there's an airplane. Um, but I had exited this hiatus of creativity because from 13 to 19, I didn't act. I didn't do anything like thespian. That, um, that was that the, the timeline of your relationship pretty much. And it's just like, I don't know, eighth grade, everything gets awkward. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I became very kind of like in that way. my artistic side became very like, I hermited that away. And I cared more about like, again, boys and yeah. clothes and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But, um, I went to study abroad in Paris and then, uh, I rediscovered theater.
3: Mm-hmm. And then I was like,
2: it felt like home and it felt free, and I was like, oh my God, I completely had forgotten this. It was like getting back on a really fun bike again. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's when I came back to Berkeley. I I stayed as a super senior. That's where I learned also that you can leave school and come back, like I didn't know these things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I took up theater again. So I did maybe two or three semesters, so it wasn't my major or anything, Mm -hmm. but I definitely enjoyed the theater classes and the, the plays and stuff that I got to see. At UC Berkeley, and I got to do train in theater in Paris, which is like how many people can say that? That was really mm. cool. Um, and that was definitely planting the seed. So, to answer your first question, was how did I choose or how did I make that change? It was very, very gradual. It yeah. was super gradual. There was no one moment where I'm like, I'm throwing this all away and I'm going to totally switch gears. <laughs> yeah. That makes one of us. Like nuggets. <laughs> They're like nuggets of, of ideas. You're like, oh, this is really fun. Hmm.
3: Hmm.
2: <laughs> but yeah. like no, back to public health. Back to public health. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, your story is is very inspirational, you know. And I think about it, and, and I sometimes compare it to my life too. It's like it's ironic because I was the worst student possible growing up, but when I got to high school, I did better, and I got I didn't get any 4.0s up until I got to college. So I'm wow! Reverse. <laughs> you
2: know? Good for you. This is where I tanked in college. I was like. What? <laughs>
1: But
3: <laughs> uh,
1: to go back to your point where you really felt lost. Right? I, I never think being lost is a bad thing.
3: Mm-hmm. I
1: think being lost at an earlier age is actually a blessing. You know, mm-hmm. then you can find what you're truly passionate about. I have a couple of stories, too, on my side. I, was, I, I too, was supposed to go to Berkeley. Um, but my senior year, similar to you, because of relationship. relationship, um, yeah, we we broke up, and it it really affected me mentally. So I I did so bad my senior year. I got kicked out from Berkeley, and I had to attend community college. You know, and since I school was a huge part of my identity, my parents pretty much just owned me. They're like, "Dude, what the hell? Like, wow. what's going on with you?" And that was probably the darkest time of my life. But it was during that time that gave me the seeds to plant, like Asian Hustle Network or that I wanted to do more in my life, that I didn't want school to define who I was,
3: yeah. you know?
1: It was during that time where I met people in my community uh, community college classes that are really successful entrepreneurs right now, you know? And I realized that just because you went to a great school or whatnot, you don't let that school dictate your, re- your reputation or who you are as a person, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. you
1: in that In those dark moments, you define yourself and, mm-hmm. I I think that people who actually go to those dark moments become the most successful. That's why we're talking to you right now, you Mm -hmm. know? And I I think that everything happens for a reason. And Mm -hmm. I commend you for that because it is a really dark, scary time. It affects everything, how you feel about yourself, like, Mm -hmm. and going through not just that part of your identity and trying to fix it and forming new groups of friends. That's extremely hard. Mm -hmm. Having your parents' approval, like, breathe down your neck. Like, my dad was extremely disappointed in me. And he wanted me, similar to you, he wanted me to become a doctor, right? (laughs) And at this time, he didn't know what computer science was. This is like, I'm also in my 30s, so this is before computer science became popular. He was like, you're going to major in computers? What the hell is that? (laughs) he just owned me for the second time.
2: You know? I CS. I mean, if you said that to someone now in college, they'd be like, "Are you crazy? That's the future."
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, maybe it was like I always tell like my friends, like, think God I majored in CS before it got popular." All these kids are hella smart now. <laughs> you know? But I mean, I, I, I can totally relate to you. It's the dark times that really define us. And for yeah. whoever's listening right now, like, you may feel like you're in a dark situation. Your life's going nowhere. But if you continue to breathe, if you continue to live on, you're going to find your sources of motivation that come from the most random places. For sure. It's like, so don't give up. You know, life is still so long. When you're young, you look at life as like, oh my God, what is life going to be like after 29? (laughs) You know, my life's going to end at 29. Like, I'm going to have kids. It's
2: more dope, you guys. I love my 30s. Like, I can't even put it into words. Right, Brian? Great.
1: Yeah, but in your... Teenage years, you're like all 30s, like having kids, grandkids—it's like you're fully established. you're hella boring. But you realize, yeah. like, life is so long, and yeah. stop sprinting so much when you're young. Take mm-hmm. it, take it at your own pace. You know, I think when you're young, you often compare. Like you said before, you live in a tunnel. Like you only see one thing, and unfortunately, that tunnel can be anything. You compare yourself to other people. You compare yourself to this and that, mm-hmm. and you lose what makes you special. You know, you lose your self-worth, you lose all that stuff. And some people let it get buried for all their life, unfortunately. But as some people decide to, to rise up, and we're hoping that the Asian community rises up after they listen to your story, you know? Like, it's very inspirational that, that you were able to to divert from a bad situation, turn into something good, and you're building, constantly building on top of that, you know? Mm-hmm. And we want, definitely want to segment ourselves to try to listen to, like, you know, some of the stuff that you were able to achieve like after this relationship, when things are turning up, you're hitting momentum. You're obviously on the board of directors of collaboration right now. And you want to hear all that,
3: that, next, you know?
2: Thank you. Oh, I really, I really appreciate that. And to be honest, like I feel a certain level of, um, uh, not imposter syndrome, but it feels like a lot of, I'm honored, but I'm also like, Oh my gosh, like if this is setting a certain precedent, or if I'm being looked at as a role model, yeah, that is, It's a big thing, so I I don't take that lightly. And I will also say, you know, there's, there's so much that I feel very lucky in terms of there was darkness, but to count the blessings in the darkness, my big brother who, you know, we've been there for each other, but we didn't grow up super close as kids, but as adults, he saved my life. My brother, my big brother, my parents, even, it's just very ironic because when you look back in hindsight, we can kind of connect the dots when it's all said and done, right? I can I can kind of pinpoint the toxic parts of Korean culture, the toxic parts of being super religious, mm-hmm. um, the certain parts of growing up in Silicon Valley where there was a lot of like, in a very specific way, subtle racial tensions or competition or like mm-hmm. a specific culture that was breeding there, mm-hmm. right? and so many things and people like, well it's this fall and this fall and this fall. And I don't look at things as I I I like you believe everything happens for a reason. Um, but again when you're in the moment, you don't have that perspective. This is all stuff we can say because we're in our thirties and we can yeah. see how those things happen. And the irony that like the things that were the problem also in my mind, my, in my opinion, the problem was also the solution. My family, yeah, you could say we had all this dysfunction and that's how things got so messed up and why as a teenager, I went on this wayward path and got so, in so much trouble and in such a bad situation. But they're also the reason why I'm here today, right? Mm-hmm. So everything can be everything, you know, we, it's yeah. not this binary thing of this is bad and this is good. It's really kind of up to us of like how we want to shape that narrative and what we want to do with these dark moments to then rise above it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't blame my family personally for me at this point, like for many years. I don't blame my family for what happened to me. Mm -hmm. It happened things bad things happen Mm -hmm. even under their watch. Honestly, that that's tough for me to say out loud in a public space. But I've talked to my parents about this. And I don't know that many Asian families that sit and talk about bad things that happen. Most Asian families that I know sweep it under the rug and never speak about things again. So So, the fact that I can talk to my family about some really bad, bad stuff that happened, even though that's taken years, to me, I celebrate that. And I'm like, we are not that version of that family anymore. We've grown because of it. And that's because all of us went through the discomfort of learning from it talking with each other and doing our best to heal, which to me is astounding for like a Korean family. Mm -hmm. to talk about their dirty laundry with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not perfect by any means at all, still dealing with it now, but we made progress. And so it's to speak on that. Like, I agree with you. Like a lot of our defining moments can be made in really dark times Mm -hmm. and also not only dark times. I think also the good parts of me, like the fact that I was really creative and that I liked school and I liked learning, that's also a huge part of me and that also defined me so i also think because mental health is so fragile sometimes or like it's tough to completely encapsulate Mm -hmm. it's important to also recognize like
3: Mm
2: -hmm. it's good not to overly romanticize darkness right Mm -hmm. darkness is darkness is darkness and it
1: happens you don't want to be in that spot
2: (laughs) (laughs) right i don't ever want to encourage a young person like go through hard shit, you know? Because if we we (laughs) shape that narrative too much, they're going to kind of seek it out too, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Like, oh, I need to go through bad stuff so I can be a better person. Don't
1: force anything. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But if you find yourself there, it's going to be okay, you know? It can feel like you're hanging on for joy.
0: I feel like someone's darkness, whether or not they consider it to be dark, it might not be considered dark to someone else, right? I think everyone has their own perception of what their darkness is. Yes. And if it is darkness, then yes, you can, can consider it darkness, you know, and take that opportunity and make it better. You know, it really mm-hmm. depends on your perception. Yeah, and right. going back to your point about, you, you know, you being in a Korean family, I think it relates to all, a lot of Asian households, all right? Asian a lot of us, like, we don't really talk to our parents about some of that, you know, dark stuff. You know, it's really hard for parents to open up about that stuff mm-hmm. and for you to talk to your family or whether your family talked to you first whatever it may be I think that requires a lot of courage Props and, to that. yeah that's amazing
2: thank yeah. you thank you it's definitely been a bumpy road and it's taught me more than anything to be compassionate to my own parents to be exactly. honest like um yeah I have to meet them where they are like they're human they don't have the tools to talk about feelings or they haven't. They certainly did not get that from their parents. Yeah. So to a large degree, my maturity and my brother, again, I'm lucky I have my brothers, mm-hmm. but because uh, we talk, but it's like showing grace to the fact that like, you know, they don't know how to talk about mental health. They don't know, They like this is nonsense yeah. to them. Yeah, exactly.
1: it is. Yeah. And then mental health to your, like especially your parents' generation is yeah. like, bro, like we came from war to come here. Yeah. Yeah. You're here to talking to me about mental health. <laughs>
2: they we're talking about survival, right? And yeah. so, it's, and it's just, and it's okay for us to care about that. We have the luxury to do that, and I think it's if we embrace yeah. that, then that's fine. Because then we're like collectively rising, right? Yeah. But if you walk into this conversation kind of like entitled, like you should know this and you should care about it, like bro, you try to like make a living. Again, in a country, you don't know the language, you don't know the yeah, culture. Exactly,
1: exactly. Well, hey, hats off to them then. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do that.
2: <laughs> no. <gonna> um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, these are our stories, so it just is what it is. And then to go into kind of what collaboration was, um, after college, I was still really passionate. Transition
3: mm-hmm.
2: And, um this is how old I am but I found YouTube during college that's when it came into existence um and that's how I discovered collab because suddenly people were sharing videos online and i was like what the heck is this on YouTube oh no
1: I think I'm older than you
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it became really popular I feel like after college but um but that's how I discovered Asian American creative scene it definitely planted seeds over the years and then like I'd always dabbled in this idea of like oh that'd be really cool to like do movies like just work in films as an actor as a director like I just want to work in Hollywood
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then um, so yeah I I worked in public health for three and a half almost four years after mm-hmm. college okay and during that time is when I started volunteering for collaboration yeah so everything kind of overlapped with each other I just started doing stuff on the side hustle of uh, mm-hmm. like this is something I'm really passionate about and I'll do this as an extracurricular if you mm-hmm. will and that's how things started to continue to shift.
3: Yeah. So
2: it was collaboration. collaboration. Mm-hmm. I started the San Francisco chapter with friends. Mm-hmm. And then a couple years into that, I started taking acting classes mm-hmm. because I'd been around all these like amazing artists that I watched on YouTube. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, like, I met David Choi. I met wow. Keenan Granite, I met yeah. Deja Raphael, Clara. Like, yeah. I just met all these people. And I was like, they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah but mm-hmm. if I did it exactly
1: yeah yeah I mean success does leave blues and I, I want to I'm curious too like what was that transition like from your full-time job to like becoming an entrepreneur like how did you break it out to your parents and you bring up a really good point too you know because a lot of people in the Asian hustle network are like hey I want to do this and that mm-hmm. but it doesn't exactly have to be like a cold turkey kind of thing where you quit your job and you figure it out mm-hmm. it can be a gradual process you know for you you're planting the seeds already as you you had a job to progress into this career that fit your vision.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, what, how did your parents take that? How did you take that? What was transition like?
2: Um, To clarify, I, I wasn't much of a goal setter. So this is where mm-hmm. I feel like this is how I changed in my 30s. At that age, when I was like going through all these changes, I was more of like a dreamer. And dreaming is great. I am not at all not condoning that. But dreams without a deadline or a timeline or, or measurable, you know, yeah. APIs, you, they're just they're just ideas. You know what I mean? So at the time, I wasn't setting myself on any sort of goal deadline. I wasn't giving any sort of structure to the things I wanted to do. I just had ideas of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So it ended up working out, thank God. But like at the same time, I could have planned a little more um so i worked in public health i worked in violence prevention so i worked in domestic violence prevention it was very much um part of my soul because of what i went through as a teenager and um then i actually worked in tech for a couple years i wanted to make more money i wanted to explore corporate life um i wanted to live in san francisco proper so i bounced and i worked at macy's.com which was like one of the best experiences of my life and um it was a test to my will basically because pk the founder of collaboration he basically when i asked him at 20 years old i was like pk i want to be an actor it's when i like just i was like shooting my shot and i was like pk you're the one that's telling everyone go be an artist like pursue your dream i want to be an actor and he's like don't do it that was his his (sighs) so he wasn't like don't do it he's like don't do it yet Cause I was okay. still in college at that time. He's like, yeah. you need to graduate from Berkeley. He's like, do not drop out of Berkeley. And he's like, after you get a job and after you're comfortable and after you have stability, if you're willing to give that up to get rejection and in- unstable pay and like a really different hustle life, right. he's like he literally framed it as like maybe you actually want it. That's how he framed uh, it. Like, oh, yeah. This is not what I thought you were gonna say to me, man. Yeah. I thought you were gonna like. Give me all your connections and tell me where to go and who to talk to. My dad.
1: My dad's like, you can't do anything else. You finish your degree. (laughs) I was like, all right, fine.
2: Yeah, but and this honestly though, it's like you need to hear no's though. Honestly, I really value, I personally value people who have given me, like, given it to me straight.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely like his advice because it's. I feel like he's probably had a lot of youngsters come up to him and say like, I want to be this. I want to be an actor but mm-hmm. then they quit after getting a few rejections, you know? It's tough and a yeah, person. He, he wanted to make sure you had thick skin, you know? And yeah. I think like, going, like d- going through all these rejections, I would love it to sucks. like know like what your mindset was like and like how you were able to kind of overcome those. Like what, what were you feeling like? I'm sure you've had rejections here and there. And like, I mean, we've all had rejections, right?
2: And so like, what was your mindset like at that time? I think uh, acting definitely taught me that, honestly, to expect rejection, Mm -hmm. to to say, like, the reality of this industry in this specific vocation is that if you are succeeding 10% of the time, you're doing really well. Yeah, like yeah. your rate of success is actually very low, but that means that you got to be trying over and over and over again. The expectation is you're not going to succeed very often, but that means that you got to try a gazillion times because if you want to succeed a bunch of times, that means you got to try times, you know, 10. Okay. All
1: you need is one. I
3: mean, right, exactly. You need one.
2: <laughs> So I, I'm eternally grateful. I actually just did an Instagram live last week with PK to promote our empowered conference uh-huh. um, because he, I became his successor, you know, after volunteering for collaboration, San Francisco, he stepped down as executive director. I got tapped on the shoulder to take his job, to be paid to run collaboration, the whole, whole shebang. Uh-huh. And I actually turned that down for a year. Cause I was just like, y'all are crazy. Like, I can't do that. Like <laughs> I really thought it was just bigger than me than life. And, um, that's, that was, so that year was, and PK was one of the people that really believed in me. He gave me good advice.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He was looking out for me for real, you know? And, um, I, I think his advice changed my life hundred percent. And his belief in me changed my life because he didn't like shove anything down my throat in either situation. He just more like gave it his opinion yeah. with mm-hmm. as much sincerity and care and let me take with it what I would. And mm-hmm. I had to figure it out for myself. Right. There's only so much advice you can give someone because they're on their path. You right. just give them as much, as much as you can. That's what he gave me. And so that year where I was like mulling it over, I had started acting class in, during that year and I really liked it. Mm-hmm. I got beginner's luck. The first audition I did was for Intel. It was a commercial and I booked it. Playing a Chinese American, by the way. No. And I was like, they're gonna know this is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the set was run by like, a white casting for, I was like, I don't think they care, but like, they just need an Asian. Um, That was ironic. But like, in my mind, there are enough, there are enough seeds and enough things that I was doing to kind of feed this idea like, oh, maybe I can do it. Mm -hmm. So you never know what the one thing is. There's just got, you got to build evidence. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I booked a job. I'm taking classes. I'm doing this seriously. I'm investing in it. I'm spending money on casting websites. I'm doing my headshots. It's like one thing at a time builds confidence and then you also got a plan and that's where my friends did come into play and like having a financial cushion having some semblance of like what am I diving into because then you can make a sound decision and that you can defend and that you can back right because if you're making a brash decision I mean you could life is full of that you got to take risks but you also pay the consequences if you just dive into a tank full of sharks Mm -hmm. and you're like covered in blood you know what I mean like don't do that
1: (laughs) it, it, it so. kind of goes back to start small and think big you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. super important to to start small too because i think a lot of people tend to think in their goals and like they want to see big results happen like overnight
3: mm-hmm. right exactly and as, you know, as
1: you got older that's typically not the case you know i think great things takes time and and people have to move at their own pace too like you can't be like oh my god my friend's doing this and that or she's a full-blown actress or full-blown entrepreneur i can be like that way too Mm -hmm. like everyone you may not see it but there's there's more to this person's story than what they show you
3: you absolutely
1: be there
2: absolutely
3: their
1: parents connections their hard work their late hours like you don't know
2: for sure what i've noticed in like the artist world this was i was i was so lucky i think being part of collaboration as like a producer, as like putting on these showcases, just being around artists in general, I was getting educated on how to be an entrepreneur, how to be my own brand or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, and how to run collab because I was in the community, I was in this environment. There's a difference. There's mad talented people out there. There's no shortage of people with raw talent. But if you want to be talented and successful, that's a whole other situation. That means that you take yourself seriously, that you discipline yourself, you do the work, you have a good attitude, you are professional. I could like list this out. I actually thought about writing it out somewhere so that in my opinion, what I feel like I've been sponging for the last 11 years, watching other people succeed and fail.
3: Mm-hmm. Because
2: some people they rode the YouTube wave. Some people did it the
3: mm-hmm.
2: independent like album way, the like, mm-hmm. starter way. I've seen some number of successful journeys mm-hmm. with pitfalls and peaks. And you gotta be determined. You have to have confidence in yourself. But like that confidence comes at a price. You have to work on that. Like there's so many facets to it. There's no formula, but there are traits that seem to be pretty. Consistent across successful people, and even that word is very subjective like mm-hmm. how do you define success yeah some people I feel like that's where we're at in 2020, especially right now right we're reevaluating what makes our time and effort worthwhile mm-hmm. is it money is it attention is it working for like a big ass brand and ending up in forbes I don't know maybe that's your cup of tea that's not mine yeah. but that's cool if it's yours, but it doesn't have to be mine. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. Right. Everyone so everyone
0: has their own path, you know, and I, in this day and age, it's very easy to just like look online and see what other people are doing mm-hmm. and right. like, seeing, oh, if he is able to make it on YouTube, like I should probably do that too. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to follow. Don't forget
1: and, that social media is a lie.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you really have to think about like, what are you good at? You know, what makes you unique? so that you can really excel in your own field because no one can do it the same way you can do it you know right everyone has their own flavor and their own spice and you just have to figure out like what it is that you're great at Yeah,
3: for sure yes
1: as we're coming up to the top of the hour we kind of just recap all the key points that we talked about so far Mm -hmm. i mean you have amazing stories so far and just to talk about some of the key points some of my big takeaways from this is like you know, everyone moves life at their own pace. Mm-hmm. You know, darkness is not exactly a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. You find your own path eventually. Um, just don't worry that, don't ever feel like you're alone too. You know, yeah. there's so much support around you that once you get your eyes out of the tunnel a little bit, you can kind of see the support system like your brother, your parents, you know, you kind of appreciate <laughs> things a lot more. And when one path closes for you, like a new opportunity opens for you, you yeah. know, and you mm-hmm. Another thing that you really brought up too is start small and think big. You know, you had your 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 eyes on becoming an actress and becoming more involved in collaboration, and you made it happen. You know, some people will just give themselves a lot of excuses, like, "Hey, uh, life is too hard right now. I have my job, I have my friends, mm-hmm. I can't do any of this." But you made time for it. You know, you made you turned it into a passion. Now you're a full-blown entrepreneur. You're, yeah. you're highly successful. You know, when we talk to our community, you're you're you're, you're, you're like really well known. You know, I was talking to my, my own personal network. I'm like, who should I interview that's a strong female boss? You know, like, oh, Minji Chang. I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. i reach out to her. <laughs> you know? So I think you did absolutely well, like, given the hardships that everyone has And it's truly inspirational for our community to listen to that, too. Yeah, yeah. You know like when yeah. usually things like the asian life is like sort of perfect so you go to great school you get a great job <laughs> you
3: know? yeah
1: but you show that you don't have to take the conventional path to become successful you know
3: absolutely yeah.
2: so, and i and i also want to say thank you well thank you thank you thank you times a thousand that's really really sweet and kind and um and i also want to say you know if people aren't uh if it if it doesn't I've met people that they're like oh my life's really boring and Mm -hmm. um very vanilla and Uh and again that it feeds into kind of that comparison thing that you're talking about too yeah if that's the if you feel that like I don't want to shame anybody for not having drama you know like yeah but but there is a lot of life the way that I would frame it is there's so much life to be lived and so if there's more that you want to do, like think about what you want to do. Not, and that's really a a choice of like how you elect to spend your time. Mm
3: -hmm. And whether
2: that's like you get inspired because you watched a great movie or you listened to a great song that moved you to like feel alive, like pay attention to those feelings because that'll kind of give you clues as to like what ignites your fire. There's something that lights up every person, right? Just because you haven't had a quote unquote, interesting life so far, or whatever that even means, right? Yeah. You have right now and moving forward, you know, to to make it as interesting as you want. Right. And that's I really want to empower people to choose and to remember the agency of choice, because that's one thing in my young life that I gave up
3: mm-hmm. and that
2: I don't ever want to take for granted. I don't think I take that for granted. Mm-hmm. But that comes with a, it comes with a lot, too, because you're taking responsibility for your life. Team. that's a really tough thing. And yeah. if you're a hustler, you need to take responsibility for everything. If you're going to sit there and cry and complain and mm-hmm. say it's everything's fault, it's Trump's fault. It's like mm-hmm. white America's fault. Like, yeah, there are problems everywhere. Everybody can kind of list off like all the things that are up against them. Time or I'm too young or that person didn't want to help me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even
3: like, give
2: me a shot everybody can do that You can fixate on those things or you can just take responsibility like hey this is my life this thing didn't work out fine what can I learn from that and what do I want to have happen and then be relentless about making that happen because attitude goes such a long way that's a very key thing um, that I've seen across that I feel like very privileged to see people with very admirable attitudes they're not all the same personality right. but they have an attitude of like they're not gonna let small things become the roadblock to why their opportunities stop Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. if they
2: get into that shitty attitude honestly sorry i'm just like cruising but like (laughs) it could could be the thing that like ends it because no one who would you kind of like would you be the person that people want to work with that's a big question are you trustworthy are you you know decent to be around hopefully fun to be around like all these things it's good things to ask somebody who wants to do something different because you can't just walk into a room demanding everybody to give you everything you want. Okay. And like, you know, you got to see how it's symbiotic and collaborative. And that's easier said than done. But that's what I've, part of the things that I've learned.
1: That's yeah. awesome. I mean, we do appreciate you being on our podcast, you know.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: We're super excited. Like, how can our listeners reach out to you and learn more about you?
2: Uh, you can follow me at Minjeezy. It's a nickname that's stuck uh, on <laughs> okay. Instagram. Yeah, Got And my, my podcast is called First of All. I talk about a lot of these kinds of things, mental health, dating, my parents, like all that stuff. Ad nauseum on a weekly basis. You can check out First of All.
1: Yeah, definitely. Awesome. We'll, we'll include that in the show notes. Yeah,
0: we will. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much we'll, for being in the show. Yeah, it's amazing having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Minji. Yeah. Thank
2: you for having me. And honestly, again, congratulations to you guys. I really admire the Asian Hustle Network. It's so inspiring for me to see all the things you're sharing in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, i really appreciate you guys
1: definitely yeah. thank you
2: thanks vinci bye
1: hey guys we hope you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show
0: we would like to get to the top 10 on itunes so be sure to leave us a five-star review we release an episode every single wednesday so stay tuned
1: thank you guys so much